I'm Doug Fullington. I'm the manager of audience education here at PMB. I'm a little out of breath because I just finished rehearsing next door. Changed my clothes and tore over here. <laughs> and I have no programs left up there, so if I say any facts wrong, you can correct me. But I will try. No, I wouldn't read it anyway. So, so. Um, Opening night, the night of Romeo and Juliet, is exciting. We're, we're particularly excited because uh, Nolani Pantastico has rejoined the company as a principal dancer. You know, she left in, I believe, 2008 and uh, joined uh, the Ballet de Monte Carlo, which is directed by Jean-Christophe Maillot, who is the choreographer of Romeo and Juliet. She had really, I think, transforming experience working with him originally on the ballet here and she went to dance for him for these uh, intervening years and danced his repertory and has danced the role of Juliet many, many times around the world. Now she comes back to us with all of that experience and I know that it has, uh, will be inspiring to us to see and I'm sure it's been inspiring to her fellow dancers too who are, uh, you know, every couple of years are working in Mayo's style which is different uh, from the other styles of ballet and, and other kinds of dance that we do here at PNB. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, let's talk a little more broadly now. Uh, probably the most famous of the 20th century ballet scores composed was composed by Prokofiev in wartime around World War II. And I think that since then, there's not been another score composed since that time that has really surpassed it, I think, in popularity or in influence. It certainly does, uh, has become part of the classical ballet canon and is a, a mainstay in the repertory. It is different from the 19th century ballets, particularly the ones by uh, choreographed by Marius Pedipal, like Sleeping Beauty and the 1895 Swan Lake. Those have come down to us in versions that retain choreography from those particular productions. Romeo and Juliet has been uh, choreographed by a number of choreographers, and there is not one, uh, I think we can safely say there isn't a definitive version. Of course, Kenneth McMillan's version, choreographed for the Royal Ballet, is very popular. It's danced by the Royal Ballet, it's danced by American Ballet Theater, it's performed by a number of companies around the world, but we couldn't say there's one particular balcony scene, like there's one particular Rose Adagio, or one particular White Swan Potida from Swan Lake and so forth. So these 20th century full-length ballets have a sort of wide open door with regard to style and interpretation, and Mayo has brought his own particular style and vision to this ballet. Last night, Peter Bull interviewed our two stagers, Bernice Copiter and Gaby Bars, here before dress rehearsal. Bernice was the original interpreter of the role of Juliet. It was choreographed on her, and of course she worked very closely with Mayo in the choreographic process. She explained his style, wherein each movement is really invested with a motivation that relates to the plot, and to the emotion of the character. Whether it's a sort of pedestrian or naturalized type of step, like you're just walking across the stage or you're reaching towards your Romeo, 
or whether it's a, a step from the classical ballet vocabulary, an arabesque, or some kind of jump, or a sort of connecting step. No matter the step, Mayo's intent is for these steps to be infused with particular intention, and his particular intention, which means that there is a great deal to communicate to the dancers in staging this ballet. It's not simply, now you do this step and then we move on here and we have these eight counts where we do this. Each step is explained by the stagers and then honed to come within what they feel is uh, within sort of the sphere, if you will, of Mayo's intention. It can sound awfully limiting. But at the same way, I think it, it creates a consistency of intent in how the ballet is performed. Now, if you're working in the Ballet de Monte Carlo and you're there each day and in the studio each day with Mayo, over time, you start to uh, understand more fully his style and you can begin to anticipate how to dance or approach particular works, steps, scenes, sequences. But if we're uh, dancing it every couple of years, we require a very intensive rehearsal process to bring ourselves back up to that, that performance level. So that is what our dancers have been doing uh, since Nutcracker. So Nutcracker is its own sort of intensive schedule, and Romeo is something completely different. So our stagers have been with us since the dancers were back from uh, their break after Nutcracker and working very intensely on this ballet. And uh, it can be slow work in the studio because there's a lot of information to, to uh, get across, but little by little the ballet comes together and uh, it's planned out. So by the time we reach tonight, our opening night, the dancers are prepared to, to offer Mayo's vision of this particular ballet. Uh, as I said, there is a uh, quite a bit of naturalism in the, in the movements, if you will. He does love classical ballet, but we also see uh, uh, an element of the ordinary in the best sense of the word, in the uh, way that the dancers, the actors, the characters interact with each other. And I think that that makes for a, a, a very uh, personal telling of the story. And. Uh, I think we're very excited to, to see everyone tonight, of course, again, particularly excited to, to see Noelani as she returns to the company. We've seen her return in Balanchine Works and in The Nutcracker, and now we'll see, see what she's been doing these past few years and how she's uh, grown in this style and become, become uh, an authority in it. So that'll be a treat tonight. She is uh, partnered by James Moore, who is performing the role of Romeo each time that we have performed the ballet. This is our fourth time, fourth time in repertory, and we also have taken it to New York. Speaking of which, we go to New York in a week and a half with six other ballets that will be rehearsed very intensely uh, again starting Tuesday. So uh, we'll be very much back to repertory uh, as soon as we get this ballet up and running this weekend. Uh, very interesting design team and concept for this ballet. Now, how many of you have seen this production before? I'm, I'm anticipating a lot because it's been in repertory very regularly. You know that the uh, set pieces are very spare. They're white, 
and it's uh, really incumbent on the lighting designer, uh, Dominique Drio, to create the uh, feel of the <coughs> town square, of the chapel, of Juliet's bedchamber, of the tomb, with his particular lighting. I'm very fascinated by the lighting in this ballet. It's one of many wonderful elements. Uh, I love the moving lights. There's a point in the second act when Mercutio is killed and then Tybalt, and the lighting so very effectively focuses our attention on these particular characters, and it's, uh, it really responds to the music and the action in a very dramatic way, and I'm always sort of thrilled by it. Lighting is not something I know a lot about, and probably don't appreciate to the degree that I could, but this ballet has uh, forced me to, to realize its dramatic uh, capabilities, and I think that if you uh, are looking for that too, you'll find that. The score, of course, is uh, tremendous, and I've talked about that a little bit. Prokofiev has such a distinct style, a particular way of composing a melody, Interesting that although this ballet is a 20th century construction, the way it's put together is based on the older 19th century ballets and that it is made up of several dozen discrete pieces. We have an opening movement, we have a, a street scene that's of a certain length and so forth. And yet, as Tchaikovsky did and some composers before him, Prokofiev has created leitmotifs or motives that uh, relate to the uh, the couple, to Romeo and Juliet, to the uh, Capulet family, and so forth, and these help to unify the score, and when these themes come back, our ears remember them, and that helps, I think, elicit in us uh, the response that that is uh, generated by the, by the upcoming scene or the emotion of the scene. It's already set into play, a little bit like cinematic music, where the music is really supposed to give us clues as to what's coming, but also uh, express our emotional reaction or the reaction of, of the characters. Uh, the costumes are by Jerome Kaplan, who is the designer that we love at, at uh, PNB. He also designed our Giselle scenery and costumes, uh, whereas in Giselle he was taking a very traditional approach and looking at 19th century uh, sketches for inspiration. Here, uh, the feel is, is quite modern and quite chic, uh, wonderful fabrics, sometimes very fragile, uh, I think beautifully made by our costume shop. We had the opportunity to duplicate the costumes and scenery that we had previously been renting from Monte Carlo and now we have our own set. The men's doublets are all hand crocheted. It's kind of amazing uh, how they're, they're put together. You would think of, I think, a crocheted ballet costume, but they are, and they give this uh, sense of almost like soft armor. It's quite, it's just fascinating. And our artisans next door have uh, uh, built, as we say, all of these costumes down to the, the boots and all the uh, specialty pieces, uh, the masks that the families wear at the ball, which are so evocative. The whole thing has it's quite a, a chic feel to it, and I think help uh, uh, in their own way contribute, if you will, to the timeless quality of the story that we all know the story has. And uh, I love that aspect of it. I think it fits wonderfully with the starkness of the set 
and then the sort of brilliance of the lighting that creates these different venues for us. I think I'm going to stop there for a moment, just see if there's anything you would like to ask at this point. Yes, please. When you travel and you go to New York, Thank you, and it's about touring. And last time, uh, three years ago, when I was here talking about this, we were about ready. We were performing Romeo and about ready to tour it to New York. We had to pack it up quickly and, and get it there, and hopefully, you know, ho hoping it wouldn't snow. When we tour, we do bring our crew, uh, the uh, most of our crew, about seven, six or seven of our full-time crew. But we also will have crew provided for us. Uh, stagehands at city center so we we sort of mix with them which is one of the great uh, aspects and pluses of touring likewise with um, the costumes we bring our wardrobe staff Lorraine Haskell who's the manager of the costume shop Sherry Thompson our wardrobe mistress Barbara Pritchard who's our assistant and uh, uh, Shelby uh, Richardson, who is, does specialty makeup because we're bringing Prodigal Son, we're bringing Emergence with the tattoos and all of that. But we will have also staff that um, uh, we hire or is provided for us in New York. Um, they, they, you know, will help us care for the costumes and, and do uh, help assist with washing and steaming and things like that. Of course, we will be sort of in charge of that. but. Uh, but they will help us care for them. We have a high standard of care for these costumes. They're very precious and expensive, so we, we, uh, you know, that's made clear, and we, we have, you know, a great experience, particularly New York. They're, you know, of course, great. Uh, they're great uh, people of the theater there. Our orchestra is also coming, which is very rare for a ballet company. It is expensive to bring an orchestra, but we uh, place very high priority on live music. Our orchestra is very acclaimed, and uh, they are in my charge. That is my job on the tour, is to travel with the orchestra. And the instruments go too. Some of the big, bigger ones are shipped. Seattle Symphony helps us do that. Uh, a few of the instruments will be rented, some of the percussion instruments. Occasionally a bass will be rented, and uh, the rest of them come on the plane. That is a source of anxiety, I can tell you that. Um, and, um, everyone wants to get in the overhead, but I'm not sure it's the best thing anymore, the way they cram those overheads. I just hold on. So uh, anyway, we'll get there. Uh, but there's about 150 of us going, and uh, I'm very excited. We're showing, I know I'm on a tour tangent here, we're doing a Balanchine program of square dance, which we'll see later this season, Prodigal Son, which we've already seen, and then Stravinsky Violin Concerto, which we haven't seen for over a decade. So we're really working to get that together. And then a program of Crystal Pites Emergence, Forsyth's Vertiginous Thrill of Exactitude with the green flat tutus, and David Dawson, A Million Kisses to My Skin in the, in the Blues. Very uh, energetic program. It shows off the company really well. Big pieces for the company. Uh, we'll have a very intense week and a half ahead. And, uh, but watch for reviews. I'm sure New York Times will be reviewing our programs, Wall Street Journal and, and the rest. So uh, hopefully <coughs> great things. 
Anybody else with a question? Yes, please. Uh, I, I think I saw in the Seattle Times article on Nolani coming back. She said that she had you know, really loved working with Mayo, but she had gotten what she could get from working with them, and that's one of the reasons she came here. That's what she said anyway. And so I make you wonder, do we have any chance that Lucien will be coming back? Our <laughs> question if Lucien Postalweight would be coming back. I can't speak to that at this point. We you know, love Lucien, he's a great dancer. He finished his schooling here and uh, came up through the ranks here. He's on the cover of Encore. So I know we still consider him part of the PMB family. So if he were to come back, I'm sure he'd be very welcomed. Monte Carlo uh, Company, of course, functions very differently. Not only are you in Monte Carlo, but uh, it's a touring company. So they, there's an opportunity in a company like that to travel widely. And there are pluses and minuses. I mean, it's wonderful to travel and you get wonderful performance opportunities. It's, it's exhausting. Uh, your repertory is a little bit smaller, but there are also pluses there in that you uh, can really dig into repertory. And in a style like my O's, which really requires uh, a very high level of intensity and commitment in rehearsal and performance at a really constant uh, level, that uh, a small repertory allows you to do that. And I think Nolani felt that, uh, my understanding is she felt she had danced the repertory and she had uh, understood what his intentions were and really grown in that. But she did uh, have repertory she wanted to return to. And uh, that was one of the motivating reasons uh, in coming back to, to PNB. And she's, she's tackling some of the repertory she's done before. She, she's uh, uh, doing uh, Stravinsky Violin Concerto, which I don't think she's done, but is Balanchine and The Nutcracker and other things, and I think she's enjoying uh, that breadth of repertory that, that our uh, broader rep allows her to, to dance. Yes, please. Speaking of touring, uh, I remember decades ago, we used to have companies come, more companies come through Seattle, and I wonder why we don't see that quite so much anymore. It's, that's a good point. It's a comment on touring. There are some regular presenters. Of course, the World Dance Series at Meany and uh, Seattle Theatre Group. Uh, a little bit less so here. We did do an exchange with Australian Ballet, uh, which I think had to do with our appearance at the Melbourne Festival in 94. 94, and they came here and did Ashton's Female Garde. New York City Ballet was here in 86. That's a long time ago now. Um, some of it is just cost involved with the bigger companies, and also that uh, that cost is, uh, I think, born a little bit easier by presenting companies who are presenting a series. But yeah, we there are fewer uh, of the big companies coming through. They tend to go in the U.S. to. Uh, New York, either to the Coke or what was the State Theater or City Center, uh, Chicago, Kennedy Center, and uh, Orange County Performing Arts Center in Costa Mesa, which sounds a little bit unlikely, but the big companies really come down there. You can fly nonstop on Alaska to Santa Ana, have a car pick you up and be at the theater in like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. It's great. So.
there's some options. But it would be nice to have uh, more touring here. A lot of it's expense. It's, it's an expensive venture to, to do that. Yes? Is there any chance that we'll ever do a Ken Stoll's version of Romeo and Juliet? They're so different. Yes, they are. Ken Stoll's version of Romeo and Juliet, which I've seen so many times and was also a staple in the repertory. You know, I just don't know if we'll see that again. We still uh, own it, of course. We built it. It's a beautiful production. It's set to ch uh, pass, uh, not a pastiche, but a collection sort of, uh, of Tchaikovsky works. Not the Romeo and Juliet fantasy overture, but uh, everything else including music that uh, it accompanies the Diamonds Potato, which is so beautiful from that uh, third symphony of Tchaikovsky. So it's beautiful, yes. Please. Uh, would you speak to how Mayo uh, portrays the priest in this production? And Thank you, yes. And characters I haven't seen in other productions of Armageddon. Questions about the, well, comment on the, the uh, sort of, uh, approach to, to the characters that are in, in this ballet. Friar Lawrence is given a greatly augmented role in this production. And in, in a way where my feeling is that we see it almost through his memory, if you will. He is uh, in, at once a narrator and also the mind through which the story is, is presented to us. Uh, we see his anxiety and transitions between scenes uh, in that he knows what's going to happen and as the scenery walls are moving he even holds his hands up against them as though to keep keep time from traveling forward because he knows uh, what inevitably is going to happen. He is accompanied at many times throughout the ballet by two uh, male dancers who are referred to as acolytes and they uh, they really function, in a way they function to uh, enable him greater movement quality and greater uh, sort of expanse on the stage. They're able to lift him up. Uh, they sort of make him, his physicality larger than life. Uh, they, they do function as acolytes, if you will, in the wedding scene. Um, the nurse has a very prominent role. Uh, Juliet's nurse is, uh, the one she's probably closest to, and not as much her mother, who has uh, her own uh, goals and own designs, and is a little bit cold toward her daughter. Uh, the nurse, for me, is a very fascinating role. It's very, she's heavily stylized in her uh, the choreography that she's given. She's um, frenetic almost, but. Uh, she, so she has that style, she has the relationship with Juliet, and of course she has her function as messenger uh, at different points in the ballet as well. Uh, we only have Lady Capulet as a parent. We don't have a Lord Capulet. We don't have the uh, Elder Montagues, just Lady Capulet, as though all of the uh, parentage is, is in her, some, I think, somewhat complex persona. Are there others that I'm, uh, Rosalind has a, a more featured role than I think we see in other balletic versions of Romeo and Juliet. What about Tybalt and Mercutio? Uh, well, Tybalt and Mercutio are very prominent, of course, as uh, rivals. The, uh, the choreography is very physical. Mayo does not use uh, 
weapon, prop weapons. There aren't swords here or other sort of weaponry, except one of the puppets from a puppet show which prefigures the deaths in the ballet. But uh, he uses stylized choreography for the fights and uh, much of the violence, and yet I think it is very effective and puts over the, uh, the intensity of the emotion that is uh, felt between the two families. Uh, the <coughs> relationship between Tybalt and Mercutio is very, is uh, really brought out in the choreography, uh, how they just egg each other on to, to the point of fatality, of course. Mayo uses, uh, maybe even taking a, a hint from the score, elements of uh, sort of cinematic theatricality in the ballet, all the stemming right from the beginning of the ballet where the, the casting is, is projected onto a screen as though we're, uh, the, the overture is, is the beginning of, of a film and we're having our list of characters and actors and who's portraying, to um, moments of uh, freezing still, stills on the stage where all of the dancers uh, completely stop moving. Often then the friar will come on stage uh, for commentary, if you will. There are slow motion scenes as the music is racing by. So Mayo really does play with time, if you will, in this, the way that the film is able to do that. It's fascinating to see people do it in uh, sort of real life, uh, you know, actually do it right in front of us. Uh, I love those parts. I think they're very effective. I hope that answers the, the, different, the different character questions. So we have time for one more, uh, if you have them. I, I do want to mention we have uh, post-performance Q&A tonight, and it will be Peter Bull with Margaret Mullen, who is the nurse, and uh, terrific in it. Maggie's not only a great dancer, she's a wonderful actress with great uh, instincts, and uh, I think very suited to this style in that I think she's really able to take in a lot of information sort of process it and really deliver. And uh, I think you'll be fascinated by, by her nurse tonight. All right, well this is great. I think we're all here on a momentous occasion. There's, uh, there'll be some pre-performance announcements front of stage that you won't want to miss, so be sure to be in your seat by curtain and uh, enjoy the performance and do come back if you'd like to be here for the Q&A.